What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hey everyone, Brendan here from The Brendan Burns Show, and today I have something really exciting to share with you. So a couple of weeks ago, I was contacted by Heidi Schalk, who is an awesome transformation coach based in Florida, and she asked me to participate in her Transformation Method Summit, where she was going to be interviewing people from all over the world to share their number one favorite tool or modality that they use with their clients or they've used on themselves to make changes or breakthroughs in their lives, whether personal life, business, money, income, whatever. And I said, this is great. I'm going to tell my story. Then I'm going to share something called the dialogue modality. And for those of you who haven't heard of it, the dialogue modality is a process that I have used working with for the past couple of years. And it's really powerful. It's changed my life. It's changed the way that I behave, interact with other people. It's changed my career, my relationships. And it's just one of my favorite tools that I use. So listen up. Here's the clip from the interview. And this is the dialogue modality, which is such a valuable tool that I use in my life and really I'm so excited to share it with you all. So enjoy the clip from this interview and implement the dialogue modality in your own life. Let me know on Instagram, on Facebook, send me an email. Let me know how it's worked for you. Share this with friends. It's really, really powerful and enjoy. So getting back to the dialogue modality, what exactly is the dialogue modality? Dialogue modality is a tool that helps us speak to anything that's inside of us. And the easy way to summarize it is that when we feel a, a painful feeling or emotion or we have a difficult person or, or obsessive thoughts or anything like that, we often identify with those thoughts or with those feelings. And one thing that I've learned is that we can have a feeling, but we are not that feeling. We can have a thought, but we don't have to identify or agree with or let that thought dictate what we do with it. We don't have to listen to it. Most people don't realize that the thoughts in our head aren't really us and that we, the way our brain has evolved over the last 200,000 years, it's, it's a broken model and we don't need these worrisome, anxious thoughts anymore. And most people just believe the thoughts that we're thinking in the moment over and over again. And that's what causes a lot of unnecessary pain and anxiety and fear. So what the dialogue modality does is it allows us to classify these thoughts or feelings or pain as a sub-personality, which is not who we are. And it's actually a great way to sort of disconnect from it and disidentify from these things and, and to actually speak with it and have a conversation with it. And ultimately at the end, convert that energy that is inside of you, but that is not you into something that would suit us better. So the way it actually works is pretty simple. You just take out a piece of paper and you say, okay, I'm really afraid right now. Let's say you're in a relationship and let's say you know it's, it's not a good relationship for you. Let's say you're clinging on to it. You don't want to be alone. You don't want to face the reality that it probably needs to end. And maybe it, it needs to end. 
and uh, and the biggest reason that you're holding back from pulling the trigger is let's say fear or anxiety or loneliness. So you pick one of those. So we could say fear, or I even like to have fun when they call it fear guy. It's like, all right, I'm going to do a dialogue with fear guy. Take out a piece of paper, take out a pen, and you just write down me. You go, hey, fear guy, what's going on with you? And then you go, fear guy. And then you write it out, and then you let him speak. He says, wow, I'm, you know, I'm so scared right now. What if this relationship comes to an end? What's going to happen? You know, I'm, I don't want to be alone. And, and so it's like that I, those I statements of I don't want to be alone, I'm scared, I'm afraid, I'm this, they're not coming from the me, they're coming from the fear guy. And you can see that you're not fear guy. You can just see the fear guy is some sub-personality that likely, and, and when you, what starts to happen, you see that all these sub-personalities are actually a reflection of, of, of our past. And and things that we haven't worked through yet. So fear guy isn't really me. Fear guy is maybe my inner child that felt abandoned by my mother because she was out, you know, having affairs or whatever happened. That was my mother's past, but depends on what happened in everyone's individual cases. So you go back and forth, maybe eight to 10 lines. It's not, you know, it doesn't need to take more than a few minutes. It's funny because if you are present and connected emotionally and willing to be vulnerable, a dialogue can take four minutes. But I've had situations where I sit down and I write me and I say, Hey, fear guy, what's up? And then it's fear guy's turn to talk. And I suddenly have to go to the bathroom and then I go to the bathroom and I come back and then now I want a cookie and I get a cookie and then I come back and, and then maybe fear guy says, I'm afraid. And then next line is me. What are you afraid of? And it's like, Oh, I forgot to mail that thing at the post office. And I go to the post office and I come back and, and I don't, and it's just like the whole day goes by and you're like, what happened in the dialogue? And, and what that is, is that's just resistance to going inside ourselves. But with practice and over time, it becomes easier and more comfortable and more powerful. And ultimately, and, and this method was taught to me by, I would call him my spiritual teacher, but he's also a therapist and coach who I've worked with. And it's a funny pattern. It's another guy whose book I read, which uh, I reached out to him and that, that happened about, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great system. <laughs> I reached out to him about two years after Beverly and, and we overlapped and I worked with both of them at the same time for a number of years. Um, but his name is George Collins and George is the one who introduced this to me. Um, it, it's in the book by John Bradshaw, healing the shame that binds us. He briefly mentions this modality, but essentially what you do is you just have a short conversation, you go back and forth and then, once fear guy has spoken his mind, you can talk to him and say, okay, well, I know this is scary, but I think we can both agree that this relationship isn't serving us and it's also not serving our partner. And as painful as it is, this is a hard but true thing that we need to do. What, what else could we do with your energy? Because your fear isn't serving us well, what else could we do? And maybe fear guy could take a deep breath and say, this is really hard, but maybe, maybe we could be strength or maybe we could be self-love or maybe we could be friend game plan. Maybe I can convert to friend game plan and we can reach out to five friends and make fun plans over the next two weeks and we can be strong and move away from this relationship and do what we need to do to take care of yourself. And then you get to the other side and then now you're out there and you're dating and you go on a date and you're not sure if the person likes you. And now you have to dialogue with, uh, you know, does girl like me or insecure about dating or there are no women guys, <laughs> you know, it's like, and it just keeps going, but, but it works because I've done this over the, I mean, I left my, I worked on wall street for years. 
I only left like 18 months ago. Really? Yeah, I didn't leave that long ago. So like when I talk about these dialogues, I even notice it's like, well, that could go on forever. But it it goes on forever to the extent that you can just continue to grow and manifest and get what you want. And I've done so many, I mean, I did a dialogue a day for a year. And I sent it to George every day and he gave me his thoughts and we talked about it. And that's what got me out of an unhealthy job, unhealthy relationship, got me my own business. And then business was amazing. And I'm making more money than I did on Wall Street. And I think I'm the coolest guy and I'm throwing around all this money. And then Facebook shuts down all my ads and my income's at zero and I'm burning thousands of dollars of cash. And I'm telling my friends that I need to go work at the chicken finger restaurant on the corner and I'm freaking out. And it's, it's a joke, but the reality was I was, it was a dark place. And it was, it was fear that I had never faced before because I'd always had day jobs. I I never said, how do you live off of no money or what it, all those what ifs and the darkness and a lot of dialogues with, uh, again, fear guy. Fear has just uh, been something that I've worked through tremendously in my own life. And, uh, and, and certainty, I think we're all driven by certainty. We all want certainty in life. We all want to have money and safety and a relationship and love. And we all want these things. And sometimes to get them, you actually have to live with uncertainty. And sometimes the more uncertainty you can comfortably toler- tolerate, the more certainty you can ultimately get. Mm-hmm. Especially if I want my own business or my own relationship or whatever it is, the more you can sit in that discomfort and trust yourself. So maybe your dialogue is with trust guy. It doesn't always have to be with a negative emotion. You can talk to your own essence. You can say, hey, you know, I could use your help right now. Or you could talk to trust guy and say, hey, how can we build you up? So you can really go in any direction. You can dialogue with a boss and hear what he or she has to say from their true place rather than, you know, the craziness that we put into them that maybe they're not really saying. So you can do this with an actual person too, not just with your feelings? Uh, it's, it's, it's one on, it's, it's just you, you but you can, like write, you can write out their name. Got it. Okay. I, I yeah. get it now. Um, you, 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 know, you said a few amazing points in there that I want to touch on. And one of them, the first one was that to be really present and vulnerable in the moment, because that's the only way you're really going to break through to what you're feeling and get to the other side. And I think that's super important because like you said, we can, it's easy to start doing other things. Like it's easy to step up. It's hard for many of us to, to really be vulnerable, especially vulnerable with ourselves and honest with ourselves. So. I think that was a great point um, because otherwise, like I tend to do that too. Like, oh, I've got to wash the dishes or I've got to do this. or This is driving me crazy. So let me vacuum mop the floor. It's like, it's easy to get off of what you're really focused on and just do something else versus get really present and vulnerable in the moment to cross through the other side. So I really like that. And that also goes with what you said about resistance. If we remember what resists persists, then if we keep doing other things and we allow that resistance to stay, we're never going to break through it and get through to the other side. Mm-hmm. We can either let fear paralyze us or push us through. And we have a choice there. And lots of times fear paralyzes us and keeps us stuck. So yeah. I really love this process that you, that you do because it's a great way to get through fear because a lot of times it could get us stuck for years and years and we don't take that leap. So that was Great information. And you mentioned how it, you started touching on how it saved you. So how has, like, what are examples of, other examples of how it saved you and your clients, those students you work with? 
Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll definitely hit that. But I first want to just share two things. Uh, one is a quote from Jamie Foxx, who is a, a big idol of mine. And he went on Tim Ferriss's podcast. I, I really liked him a lot. He's a mentor to me. And Jamie said, uh, he's like, you got to push through fear because you know what's on the other side of fear? Nothing. It's like, it's so simple. It's like, you know, we're so afraid, but it's actually once you push through it, there's no fear on the other side. And I just, I love that quote. And I love, uh, it was like a two plus hour episode. Um, Jamie went on Tim's show, the Tim Ferriss show, I think this podcast is called. So I would encourage that to be listened to by any of our listeners today. Um, and then the other thing I just want to say is um, I lost someone close to me when I worked at the hedge fund. So when I was in banking, that gentleman I was referring to survived and lived. But another big part of why I left finance to pursue my passion and calling in life was I worked at a hedge fund for three years after that. And I, I had a very close friend who worked there and I didn't realize, but he had an opioid addiction. And he, I think, had gotten clean and come to work for us. And I saw, he reported to our CFO and I just saw how, how stressed out he was. I had no idea he was using drugs, but I saw how stressed out and unhappy he was. And it got to the point where he didn't come in one day and I just assumed he was working from home. He didn't come in the next day, the next day, and we all didn't know where he was. And I was texting with him and I was actually sending him text messages when he had already passed away and they had found his body in his apartment. Um, and, and as a result of that, and also being in a, a men's group as a participant, I run groups now, for, but I also have participated in men's group coaching with a lot of former addicts, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or food or, I mean, I know someone who's addicted to travel <clears throat> as a way to escape. And I used to be addicted to travel. That's something we didn't really touch on. But when I was working in finance and especially when I moved to the hedge fund, I had disposable income and I had more free time than banking. So I started, I went on this solo trip and I, I thought it was like the coolest thing ever, but I was really just running away from all my problems and I was alone and I was isolating and it felt safe and comfortable, but it was, it was an addiction and I've, I've broken through that and I'm so proud to have caught that and, and not, I don't do that anymore. Um, but I also know someone who's working through it right now who is in that, I mean, it's also for him, it's alcohol and, and I think women to some degree, but the travel as well. So you can get addicted to anything and, have you ever read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle? Yes. A great book. Amazing book. Yes. I love it. It's, it's almost a cliche to recommend it in the self-improvement world because it's sold so many millions of copies. But I go to it every day. And one of my favorite quotes is he says, every addiction arises from the unconscious desire to avoid facing and moving through our own pain. And when you think about that, what he's basically saying is when you're talking about, Brendan, it's so important to not resist and to be vulnerable and to feel our feelings – this is when addiction comes up, is when we avoid the pain and we don't feel it, and then it stacks and stacks and stacks. You don't really see a lot of 16-year-old drug addicts or alcoholics, but you know a lot of 50-year-old alcoholics who go to AA and try to get sober, and it's because it's the years and years and the stacking and stacking, the pain just builds up, and then one day you either burst or it just gets channeled into some sort of addictive behavior which masks the pain. And... Um, so anyway, I just want to say that I'm very passionate about helping people with addiction. I have a guy coming on my podcast, um, next week who lost his leg because of uh, drug addiction and he was in a coma and he came out and he's just so inspiring to me. So he's coming on my show, but 
I just wanted to mention that uh, I think it's really important that every all the listeners uh, think about how can they be more vulnerable because it can save you, maybe not from a devastating addiction, but even from some kind of compulsive behavior that's impacting what, you know, a lot of people don't realize social media, fantasy football, food, these are all, these can be compulsive and grow over time without us realizing it. So I just had to make a plug for that. And then, so you asked me, how did this all save me and my clients? Do you mean just this process of connecting with emotions? Yeah, but real quick, um, I'm so thankful you shared that because we, uh, I know when I think of addiction, I forget that there's other forms of addiction, like social media, like you said, that's when we wake up in the morning, many people go straight to their phone to see who responded to a post they put or who, how many people like their posts. Like it can be very addicting. And, um, and not only do we check to see who's checking on us, but we also are busy looking into everybody else's life and social media can be a detrimental thing as much as a positive. It can also be detrimental in the fact that it only shows the positive of people's life in many times. And we're always looking at how great their, their lives are versus focusing on how also how great our lives are. So um, thank you for bringing up the other forms of addiction and travel. I had no idea that could be addicting. Um, so yeah, that was great information. I definitely learned some great things there. So, so yeah, so please share how it saved you and um, how it saved people that you work with. Yeah. Well, in my, in my own life, it, it saved me, I think, in two core ways. One was I was not connecting with my own emotions and feelings, and I was very much interested in, in love and connection and, and getting approval or at least connecting with and having a community feel with other people. And there's kind of two paths we can go on to get love and connection. One is to just unconditionally accept and love ourselves and say we have nothing to prove and just learn that we deserve that connection and go out and get it from and connect with other people, which is what I do now. But what I was doing at the time was uh, thinking that I had something to prove or to earn or to achieve or to accomplish in order to get that love and connection. So that's why Wall Street, that's why chasing money. That's why hedge fund. I was like, Wall Street's not good enough. I need to find the part of Wall Street where you can make the absolute most money. The easiest way to get to a billion dollars as soon as possible, because the more money I have, then I'll get all that love and connection. And once I'm standing on this mountain, then everyone will like me and respect me and look up to me. And, and so that was the fallacy that I was living in. So the way that it saved me was this work saved me was I was spending 14 hours a day, every day for my whole life at that point, doing work that I really didn't enjoy and was largely unfulfilling in order to get something I thought I wanted, but it wasn't even delivering me the love and connection because it was actually creating walls and people thought I was pretentious and, and thought I was, you know, it's like I was actually not connecting with people because I would only want to go on $400 price tasting dinners at 11 Madison Park or wherever. And I couldn't do that with a lot of people. So it was actually ironic how I was doing something that I didn't want to do because I thought it would give me something. And it was actually moving me further away from that because of how I was actually isolating myself, at least financially, but in other ways too. So it really saved me because I realized, well, I want to, um, I want to build my own business. I want to help people. I want to be a coach and influencer. I want to do all, I want to travel. Like my vision is like, I, like I mentioned Tim Ferriss. So he wrote this book called the four hour work week, which you may have heard of. And I read it while I was in law school. And I'm reading uh, like a, a contract law, law school textbook on one hand. And then on my iPad, I have the four-hour work week, how to escape the nine to five, join the new rich, and live anywhere in the world 
<laughs> and, and it's talking about how Tim created an online business and he's tango dancing in Argentina and then he's in sushi tasting in Japan the next week and he can live anywhere. And I'm just like, this is my vision for life. This is what I want to do. So the work saved me because I was able to ditch the story that I needed to make a certain amount of money or I needed to work in Wall Street or whatever to get love and approval and acceptance and be happy. And I was able to shift to how can I truly and deeply fulfill myself and be my true self and be authentic. And if someone says, Brendan, I don't like the suit you're wearing or not wearing or the job you ever don't have, that's just evidence that that's not an unconditionally accepting person that I want to be around anyway. So it saved me and my career because I was able to create my passion business, which I, and I run a team and I can run this remotely and it's, it's so exciting. It also saved my personal life and in many ways, not just relationships, in my friendships, in my relationships with myself. And what I realized was that I was deeply disconnected from my true self and I also had a lot of uh, fear of intimacy and not just with women, with anyone, with my bosses at work, with people in general. There's kind of like a spectrum if you look at um, intimacy, right? There's, there's the healthy medium where you're comfortable creating connections or interpersonal relationships with other people. And that's going to set you up for success in a workplace environment. If you have a team, it's also going to set you up for success in relationships. Then there's the sort of anorexic side that I was on, which is interpersonal relationships are so vulnerable and can be so painful and triggering for me that I'm just going to totally isolate myself. And I'm not going to be in relationships and I'm going to travel alone. And I'm going to even try to, when I first tried to create my business, I thought I would just do it alone myself in my room. And, and that was like that anti-intimacy, anti-interpersonal relationship thing at play because I just had a meeting with my new COO yesterday and he's telling me how we're going to get off the space and build a team in New York and I'm doing my first uh, retreat next year in Costa Rica in May and it's like, boom, you need people, like I want people. So learning that, but it's just important to note that on the other end of the spectrum, and this isn't me, but there are people here who are so like escaping into the overwhelm of other people that's like where like love addicts come into play they go from relationship to relationship to relationship because they can't build themselves up but for me i wasn't out there i was all the way over here on the isolation side and that was that was hurting me because i wasn't able to connect with people deeply and once i learned how to do that it changed everything because all my relationships with everyone men and women like totally changed and i'm able to go deeper and connect with people and, and just have these amazing relationships. And, and it's really powerful. You know, you have the lone, lone wolf syndrome, which is, yeah, yeah which I, I've had that too. And I, um, it's hard. It's, it's, I had that journey where it was hard to ask for help and support. Like I always felt like I could do it on my own, but that's how you get into burnout and overwhelm. And then you end up failing on all fronts, or at least I did because I just took too much on for myself. So I, yeah, I agree. It's, you definitely have to, ask for support and help and, and bring others into your circle. And that also opens up your relationships and more of a connection and interpersonal bonds between people that you may never even thought you would have this connection with. So I think that's um, great points there. And uh, also for the four hour work week, it's important that you're not a lone wolf because you can't have that type of life when you're doing everything on your own. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was kind of where I was initially with, uh, with the isolation. And one thing that I've really learned is that I felt that asking for help from other people was a huge burden and it's actually a gift 
because if someone came to me, a good friend and said, Hey, Brendan, I, I really could use your support right now. Could you chat on the phone for five minutes? That's actually very fulfilling to me to be able to help a friend. So I would hide and I would isolate. And one thing that I've worked on is building security network of, I have six people on my list and I say, when I'm feeling a certain way, this is the one to reach out to. How do I do it? Do I call them, email them, text them? And learning that people actually enjoy giving and that it's not a burden, it's not a chore, they, they like to do this has allowed me to get support in my life because we, yeah, we, we all need support. And when I was isolating, that was, I was not getting what I needed from other people. Yeah. And you just made a great point. Like what I've been working through with my journey is that um, I'm learning that if you're, when you're a lone wolf, I've been told, taught that um, you're actually, I'm, I was actually being selfish. I was being selfish because I wasn't allowing people that care about me and yeah. love me to give. And that's selfish of me because I feel the same way. I love when people come to me and they want support because I love to give and, and, and be there at, for my friends and family, but I wasn't doing the same for them. So I was a taker versus a giver. And that's mm -hmm. not something that I want to be. And um, you're also keeping yourself from off from sharing your contribution and your gifts to the world and to the people that care and love about you. So that's something I've just been working through and learning too. So that's a fantastic point. Thank you. Yeah, of course. It's great. It's, it's so true. Like it is, it's selfish to not share what we have and we've all been put on this planet to share and give and contribute and help others. And I think a lot of it is just a mindset of not being worthy or not feeling like we're valuable or we have these amazing things to offer, which we do have. And what I was going to also say earlier was it doesn't need to come from some kind of abusive or traumatic past. Like it did in my case to a large degree, but we also live in Western civilization is so achievement oriented that we all feel like we have to be in a top 1%. You know, you have to graduate top 10% in your high school to go to a top 10% college. And then you have to graduate top 10% to get into the best finance job. And then from there, you have to be in the top percent to get the promotion. And if you do that, and then when you're 70 and you retire and you're the multimillionaire, then you're like good enough and you can get all the love and you're allowed to ask for these things. But right. everyone else who didn't do that isn't entitled to that. And it's just understanding that we are all entitled to it and understanding from, because it's interesting. Uh, I saw this documentary recently on Mr. Rogers called, uh -huh. won't you, won't you be my neighbor? Uh -huh. And it's crazy because there was a small percentage of people who actually protested and thought that his message was bad, which is a total misinterpretation of what he was sharing, in my opinion, because it's the difference between unconditional love and entitlement and laziness and, you know, having a bad attitude about it. And Mr. Rogers is saying, you know, you're good enough exactly as you are. He has this amazing poem called It's You I Like, which I encourage you to look up. It's, it's incredible. And it's all about just, we're all worthy as we are no matter what in this moment. And it's uh, sometimes misconstrued. And, and a lot of times when I teach my clients things like self-compassion, for example, they say, wait, but I need to be hard on myself. I can't love myself without that thing that I want, you know, then how am I going to motivate myself to get there? But all the research and studies show that the more you can just accept what you have now, it's like that quote, it's only when you accept yourself as you are, can you then change. 
I love that. And thanks for sharing that poem. I'm definitely going to look it up. I've never read it before. So it's, it's yeah. amazing. I discovered it just earlier this year. And it's, and if you can just watch the video of him reading it with uh, this boy who was in, who was in a wheelchair and it's just, it's uh -huh. really powerful and emotional. Yeah. Yeah. He was a really incredible man and a lot of people don't know about his, his story. So that's awesome. Um, and uh, you have a free gift you're sharing with us all today. So it's yeah. called the uh, Free Life Mastery Online Training. So can you share what that is and all about that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I've had a lot of people express interest in, in learning more about these strategies and tools and techniques. So I put it together in a free one-hour online training. And it's at masteringlifeacademy.com. And it's me just sharing more and teaching these principles. I Actually, I talk about setting SMART goals in there, how to actually set tangible goals and execute on them. I talk a lot about how to get accountability partners, surrounding yourself with good people, just other life coaching strategies that have been most beneficial to me on my journey. I, I put that into that video. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. We're going to, um, everybody click on the link on this page and go ahead and grab Brendan's gift. Um, it's free and you can work with him more and get deeper um, by using this, these tools. So please jump on that link and go grab that today. Brendan, I can sit here and talk with you for hours. So thanks so much for sharing um, a small snippet of your day. You're a busy man and I appreciate your time so much. So thank you. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.